the book of Mark, chapter number 7, and verse number 37. Mark 7, 37. I prayed a very specific prayer early this morning, and that was that God would help my mind stay focused, not rabbit trail as you may or may not be aware that I occasionally do, but I want to stay on task for what I feel like the Lord's given me for this morning. Mark 7, 37, if you found it, say amen. And we're beyond measure astonished, saying he hath done all things well. They're talking about Jesus. He hath done all things well. Look at somebody and tell them he's done everything well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. He hath done all things well. I'm, I'm going to preach something, and I, I said something a few weeks ago when I was preaching that, I, that most of my job, I feel like, is trying to get God's people to believe that they really can be what he said they could be. It's not a God issue, but we've got to believe that God really wants us to be what the Bible says we're going to be. I want to preach this morning, unlocking the greatness within. Unlocking the greatness within. God, have your way. Use me for your glory. Anoint our ears to hear. God, I need your help today. And I pray for the power of your spirit to move. God, for all those who are sick or out of town and are watching online, I pray that they can get the same anointing that you're going to send into this room, wherever they are, Lord, and raise them up in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Every week, we gather in the house of the Lord with people who are searching for answers to life's problems. There are people involved in business who come to church and they need answers for the economic situation. There are families who are in search of answers to the problems that they are facing. Houses within the walls of their homes needing God to work. Parents with children who are struggling. Husbands and wives dealing with the stress of a difficult marriage. Single men and women struggling with the problems and the trials of life. Young people dealing with pressures and decisions and temptations and fear of their future. There are people struggling against temptations and lifestyles that are destructive. People who need a place to come to find answers and hope and direction for their lives. May I tell you this morning that the church is not merely designed for us to come and enjoy our salvation. This is our opportunity to pour out of us what God has poured into us. 
The fact that you are a Christian tells me something about you. The fact that you're a member of this church tells me some very important things about who you are in the eyes of God. It tells me that you have greatness within you. You may not feel like you do. You may feel more like a failure than you feel great. But I am telling you tonight that the fact that you are here means that you have greatness within you. Amen. Praise God. Look, I, I know some folks like hard preaching, and they can only say amen the, when the pastor's half mad or, or, or all the way mad. But you ought to say amen when the pastor's bragging on you too. Amen. You have greatness within you. Mark 7, 37 says that Jesus does all things well. That word well means truly excellent. He does all things truly excellent. Jesus does everything with excellence, and that included when he made you. You are instrumental to some part of the work of God. Jesus said in Luke 10 and 2, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. From the time that Jesus made this statement, the disciples began to pray for God to send laborers into the harvest. That prayer has been repeated by apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers of every generation since that time. It was prayed in Jerusalem and Judea and Palestine, in Rome, across Asia Minor. In time, that prayer made its way across the steppes of Asia, the savannas of Africa. The prayer for laborers for the Lord's harvest became the heart cry of the church leaders in the burgs and villages of Europe across the seas to the new world in the vast American wilderness. The prayer for laborers has been earnestly prayed from generation to generation. Here in our own church, from Alvy Bishop to J.L. Pipkin to J.F. Wilson to Bishop Steve Wilson and to me, we have all prayed that the Lord would send people into his harvest. Amen. I pray, when I pray, I pray God send us champions, send us winners, send us world changers, send us people who are going to be difference makers in the kingdom of God. And you, my brothers and sisters, are the only answer to that prayer that we have. That tells me something about you, that you're a champion and a winner and a world changer waiting to happen. Amen. You ought to look at somebody and tell them you're a world changer. Amen. I don't want you to say it with a, with a, a smirk or a grin. Or a sm I want you to look at them and tell them you are a world changer. You have greatness within you. The Lord spoke something into my spirit this morning. and I had, uh, he, he spoke it early, early this morning. And uh, it, it, was, it was probably about, about uh, 4.50 this morning that God spoke a phrase to me, and I had to go back 
and I had to add it to this, to this message because I felt like it was something that God is dealing with me about. But God spoke to me, I feel like, and said that spiritual greatness is the combination of ability, anointing, and desire expressed through actions. Let me say it again. That spiritual greatness is the combination of ability, anointing, and desire expressed through actions. Greatness does not come from pedigree. Greatness is not dependent on who your mom and dad were. Greatness is not born of poverty or wealth. Greatness is ability, anointing, and desire expressed in action. There is no such thing as a great person who is inactive. I'm going to say it again. There is no such thing as a great person who is inactive. I know you have greatness within you, but you have to go to greatness because greatness won't come to you. It's talent, anointing, and desire in action. In other words, we've got to be disciples and we've got to make disciples. Amen. In the Bible, we read about a man with all the natural ability you could ask for. His name was Saul. He was the king of Israel. He was tall, he was strong, and by all accounts, a physical specimen. The Bible described him as head and shoulders above all the rest. He had ability, but greatness is not ability. Greatness is ability, anointing, and desire expressed through action. Saul had ability, but he lost his anointing and he had no desire. And because he had no desire, he had no action. And there's no such thing as a great person who is inactive. Anointing comes with submission, prayer, and discipline. Desire is the expression of passion. It's the want to. It's drive. In the Bible, we find that Saul had come to a place where he was resting under a tree with all the ability in the world, but no anointing and no desire and certainly no action. The enemy has attacked and Saul is lounging. Here's what the Bible said in 1 Samuel 14 and 2. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. The Bible said that Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. The word uttermost there in the Hebrew means the border or the brink or the edge on the outskirts. Saul is on the edge. Saul is on the border. Saul is on the outskirts. He's on the brink, on the extremity. He is as far from the center as you can be. He has gone as far from where he's supposed to be as the king as he can possibly go and still be in Israel. He's at the brink. He's at the outskirt on the edge. He is in a place called Migron, which means the precipice. He is on the absolute 
edge as far as he can go and still be in his homeland. Saul has tried to live on the outskirts with God. His life has been lived on the edge, on the border, on the brink of a relationship with God. The minimum that I can do, let me get as far from the center as I can. Let me get as close to the border as I can get. Let me get as close to the edge as I can get and still be in the church. Let me see how much of the world I can get in me and still be considered to be in Israel. Let's see how far I can go and still be in Israel. And my friends and brothers and sisters, there are some people that that's how they approach living for God. Let me get as close to the world as I can get without really being completely backslidden. Let me see how worldly I can get away with and still be considered a Christian. You don't want me to preach it, but I'm still going to preach it. That's the Saul inside of us that says, I want to be a king, but I don't want to be where God wants me to be. Let me get to the uttermost part. And there's some people in this very room that have lived at the uttermost part of being an apostolic for a long, long time. Well, praise God. You can sit there all morning long. It'll be all right. I came to preach a little while. There's some folks that we live as close to carnality as we can live, as close to worldly as we can live with just barely holding on to being so lived on the outskirts. He's on the outskirts with God. His life has been lived on the edge, on the border, on the brink, close to the edge. Is no way to achieve greatness. But there is another problem with living on the uttermost, living on the outskirts. And that problem is that not only are you living your own life on the outskirts, but you always influence someone else to be where you are. Let's look at verse 2 again. That he, Saul tarried. Everybody say, Saul tarried. On the uttermost part, on the outskirt, on the brink, on the border, on the extremity of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, the precipice, the very edge. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. Saul, you thought that by you living on the edge, that it didn't affect anybody else. But Saul, there's hundreds of others who are with you. You never live your life in a vacuum. You never live your life by yourself. Praise God. These 600 men, we assume they're soldiers. We assume that it's part of Saul's army. These 600 men are following Saul. These are soldiers. They have been made for war. They've been made for battle. They've been made to fight the enemy. But because Saul is living on the edge, now these 600 men are on the edge with him. You can live on the spiritual outskirts if you want to. But remember this, you're affecting somebody around you. Somebody in your life is living on the outskirt with you. 
Can I preach how I feel today? There ought to be some husbands that leave this service this morning and gather their wife and children around and say, I'm sorry that I've lived on the outskirt and the edge. There ought to be some moms that get your kids together and say, I'm sorry I haven't been faithful like I ought to be. I haven't worshiped like I ought to worship. I haven't gone to the prayer. Some of you haven't been to the prayer room in so long. You don't even know how to find it. You ought to apologize to your family. Hallelujah. I'm not preaching a popularity contest today. I'm not trying to win pastor of the year on the first day. I'll save that for pastor appreciation month in October. But right now, I'm telling there's some men and women that you owe your family an apology for living on the edge. Oh, God, give me the boldness to preach. Some of you need to stir yourself up right now. You can't even manage an amen because you're under conviction because you're on the edge. Somebody needs to back off from the outskirts and get to the center of what God really wants to do. You are an influencer. Every young person that's tried to get another young person to do something that they're not supposed to do, you ought to go to that person and apologize to them and tell them, I'm sorry that I've influenced you, tried to get you not to pray or be faithful. You ought to apologize to your friends, your siblings, and say, I want to be somebody that helps you do right. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. God, help me to think about what my life affects. Help me to think about it, God. Help me to think about if I don't worship today, will that affect somebody else's worship? Help me consider somebody else. I don't just go to the prayer room so I don't go to hell. I go to the prayer room to create an atmosphere of revival because I'm trying to consider somebody. Somebody comes here and don't know how to pray. And so my prayer and my worship and my response becomes the blueprint for somebody that doesn't know how to touch God. They don't know how to feel God. They're so broken that they don't know how to touch heaven. And when the church comes and we can't manage an amen, how do we expect to provoke somebody else? It's solace. It's a solace way to live. How can I provoke my family and church family to love and good works? How, let, let, let's put that verse back up. Hebrews 10, 24, you need to follow the progression of this passage of Scripture. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The very next verse, verse 25. Not forsaking. I'm expecting my amen count to go down here in the next few minutes. But while I'm getting, I might not, might not get, that's all folks. I may not get amens here for the next few minutes, but I'm going to get some amens from up there. Because he went straight from, let's, let's go back to verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. How do I provoke unto love and good works? Very next words. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You cannot fulfill verse 24 if you don't fulfill verse 25. 
Don't tell me you're right with God and don't have a desire to be in his house, in his presence. Don't tell me you love him, but you can't come try to help somebody find him. Not forsaking. When you forsake coming to the house of God, you're abdicating your responsibility to provoke somebody else to love and good works. You don't just come for you. You come for somebody else. We live our life for others. You say, well, my worship, when I come, my worship doesn't affect anybody else. That's your problem because you're not doing it right. If your life never affects somebody else, you're not living your life right. We got a guest preacher tonight. The Lord knew I needed somebody else. Let us consider one another. It is inconsiderate to your brothers and sisters to skip church. It is inconsiderate to your wife and children, to your husband and children, to skip church. It is inconsiderate to your spiritual family to not come and add your prayer and your worship and your response to the atmosphere and build what God's wanting to do. It is inconsiderate. He said, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You cannot obey verse 24 without obeying verse 25. Am I preaching the Bible? Who has a Bible? Who has a Bible here? Who has a Bible? Who read this verse in your Bible? Is it in there? Is it in, there? Is it in my handwriting? If it was, you couldn't read it. There's, I write notes I can't read myself 10 minutes later. Only one person I know has worse handwriting than me, and I'm not going to say who he is. Is, look, if you got a Bible, open it to Hebrews 10, 24. I want you to make sure that it's not my handwriting in there. I got you all choked up, don't I? I'm glad you're feeling better, though. Amen. Is, is, it, is it in there just like it is up here? Is it my handwriting? Did I write that? I didn't write that, did I? The Bible said that the Holy Ghost moved on men and it was, they were inspired to write according to the Spirit of God. This is God talking to the church. God said, you've got to consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That means not only do I need to come to the house of God, but when I come to the house of God, I've got to do something that helps somebody else touch God. My worship ought to provoke somebody else to worship. My response ought to provoke somebody else to respond. My, my, my touching God ought to help somebody else. That's my responsibility. As a Christian, I've got a responsibility. This is not a spiritual welfare program where God gives us a sucker every time we show up. We treat it like a bank. We used to take our kids to the bank, and when we took them to the bank, they'd hand them a sucker through the drive-thru. My kids loved going to the bank because every time they went to the bank, they got a sucker. And some people treat God the same way. God, if I come to church, you gotta, you got to give me a sucker. you got to pat me on the head, and, and you got to come on, coochie, coochie, come on, baby. You can make it. You can make it. That's not why I come to church. I come to church to provoke somebody else 
This is not my spiritual welfare program. This is my spiritual give back. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. God, don't let me be like some. Oh, God. Lord Jesus. I got more sermon than you've got patience and I've got time. Next verse, verse 26. For if we sin, wait a second. Is your Bible still open? Is your Bible still open? Is your Bible still open? Is, is, that, is verse 26 in my handwriting? Is, is it, it's in there, right. So he's talking about provoking one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. For if we sin willfully. Don't tell me, don't, don't tell me that you can be right with God and not right with the church. Well, praise God. For if we sin willfully, I didn't write it, but I'm gonna move on from it. I was, I was on Germantown Parkway one day and uh, I was up there at a grocery store or something, and I went by a New Balance store. New Balance is a, is a shoe company. They're known primarily for running shoes. And I decided that I was gonna get in better shape, and so I stopped into the store and talked to, they're not salespeople, they're specialists. Don't buy shoes from a salesperson, buy them from a specialist, because they're special. I told, them, I told the guy, I said, I want to start running, but I'm concerned that at my age that uh, I'll hurt myself and do more damage than good. So they put me on this machine. I stepped, stepped up on this machine, and it had a computer screen, and next thing I knew, two feet popped up on the screen. And I kind of got a feeling they were my feet because I had to take my shoes off to get on it. He pressed the button, these two feet come up on the screen and the screen, the, sh the, the feet had red and yellow and blue and green areas and the red areas were where my feet were putting the most pressure on the ground. And so the machine recommended a specific insole for my feet. And so I bought the insole, I bought the, the I, I got this, they found it, they had some code on it and they got the box and they put the insoles, and they said, these are the insoles for your feet. These will help your feet not hurt so much when you, when you run. And, uh, and so we went, they, they started on the sole first and then went to the shoe. I know that's not spelled right, but it's not necessarily a bad idea. Because <clears throat> if you get the sole right, you can move on. But, but again, I understand it's not spelled the same. It's not, I understand that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Mensa, but I'm, I'm not that bad. So then with, with the specialist's help, I picked out a shoe. And uh, the specialist had, uh, uh, that's when me and the specialist negotiated because uh, his shoe was more precious than what I wanted it to be. And so we settled on a shoe that was equally precious to both of us. 
And so I picked out a shoe. Here's what, here's what the, the, I looked that shoe up on the internet and here's what the company's website says about the shoe. The AT Tread outsole provides unmatched grip. Wow. While the Dynasoft midsole offers plushness and responsiveness with an engineered mesh construction for added ventilation, these breathable running shoes are built to withstand daily wear. Did you feel that? I didn't. I got the right sole and the right shoe. That was two years ago. I've not ran one time. Without action, it's wasted. All the ability without action is a waste. I could have gone to the Goodwill, and I got lots of Goodwill shoes. Sometimes you can get a good deal. But I could have gone to the Goodwill and bought the reject shoes from the reject store and they would have done me just as much good as the good shoes from the good store because they had the same amount of action. I ran the same amount in those shoes as my grandfather has run in his shoes in the same amount of time and he died in 1985. Without action, there are no great people who are inactive. So Saul is under the pomegranate tree, head and shoulders above all the, all the men of Israel, all the ability in the world, but he's lounging on the edge, on the precipice, on the outskirts. And then here's what, in the same passage, here's what the Bible says about his son. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Jonathan said, I don't know if God's gonna do it for us, but I know he won't do it without us. I can sit under the tree like my dad and nothing will happen. Or I can get busy and do something. And if I do something, it may just be that the Lord will work for us. And so in verse 14, here's what the Bible said. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. 20 men killed by two men that's good, right? 10 for each one. But it's hardly enough to decide a battle between nations. Winning a half acre size of land is great, but it's not enough to win a whole country. In the annals of military history, a half acre of land and 20 dead Philistines is nothing. But greatness is ability, anointing, and desire in action and this small action by two men just giving their ability only slew 20 philistines in a half acre of land 
But what it was, it was an invitation to God to show his greatness. Because these two people got in action, God got in action. Verse 15 and 16, and there was a trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked. And so it was a very great trembling. There's greatness inside of you. And the watchman of Saul in Gibeah, Benjamin, looked, and behold, the multitude melted away. There was a multitude army in front of them, and it, and they just, it just melted away. They just went away, and they went on beating down one another. When two people got in action, God got to shaking the world. And when the world started getting shook up, the enemy started beating themselves and melting away. You want to start something great? Don't wait until there's something great to do. Start with something you know you can do right now. Start with something small. It might have just been a half an acre of land, but if you'll do something with the little bit you've got, God will start shaking other stuff up. But if you don't get active, God's not going to move. That earthquake was waiting for Jonathan's feet to move because when, when, when greatness comes, it's ability, anointing, and desire in action. Here's what leadership expert Don Meyer said. Quote, sometime in your life, you will meet someone that will expect greatness from you. End quote. Sometime in your life, you will meet someone that will expect greatness from you. Let me tell you, surround yourself with people who won't make excuses for you. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel like I'm preaching. I can't really tell if I am, but I feel like I am. Surround yourself with people who will expect greatness out of you. Surround yourself with people that say, come on, let's go to the altar again and let's pray some more. Let's go meet me at the prayer room before church and we'll get some stuff. We'll get revival moving. Meet me in the altar and I'll help you pray. Help me worship God today. Let's make a difference in this service. Let's make a difference in this place. you got to surround yourself with people who won't say, well, it's okay. It's just an off time. No, it's not okay. Surround yourself with someone that expects greatness out of you. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them you've got greatness inside of you. Come on, look at them and tell them with conviction you've got greatness inside of you. But you've got to get it in action, my brothers and sisters. You've got to get moving. He also said discipline is the highest form of love. So my commitment to you and to this church is that I will not quit pushing us to do more for God. We're going to expect greatness. We're going to expect greatness. We're going to expect winning souls. We're going to expect Holy Ghost revival. My commitment to you is that I will not stop preaching revival and accept dead, dry, complacent, existing church as a substitute for a red-hot Holy Ghost revival. 
I won't accept dead prayer meetings. And I won't accept a dead prayer room. And I won't accept dead worship. And I won't accept a dead altar service. Because you've got to have somebody that expects greatness. It's in you. It's in you. It's in you. It's in you. But you've got to get it in action. Greatness. Have, have I said it enough that you know how, what I'm getting ready to say? Greatness is ability, anointing, and desire in action. Come on, say it with me. Greatness is ability, anointing, and desire in action. Whatever ability you've got, it's enough, but you got to get it in action. Amen. Lamar Hunt said you got to determine what you really want. You got to find out what it's really going to cost, and you got to decide if you really want to pay the price. 1 John 3 and 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He said, listen, I know that when the Lord comes back, we're going to be changed because we're going to see him like he is. But now, we're the sons of God. We're not just the sons of God when the trumpet sounds and we lose gravity. We're not just the trumpet. We're not just the, the sons of God when we walk on streets of gold. He said, now are we the sons of God. We ought to expect to see God work right now. We ought to expect to see God move right now. You ought to expect to see God work in your life right now. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I don't know why. Look, we got a, a we got a, a let me just tell you something about these young men. If I don't have my Sunday night sermon ready before they show up Sunday morning, I might as well forget it because they're going to be in my office all Sunday afternoon wanting to talk about working for God and ministry. And sometimes they'll say, Pastor, what do you think I'm going to do for God? I don't know. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But I'm going to tell you what, if you'll keep that desire, you'll do something great for God. If if you'll keep in action, don't ever sit on a pew. Don't ever just sit down and not. You find somewhere to get involved. If it's in the sound booth, if it's in Sunday school, if it's mowing the grass, if it's on the maintenance team, it doesn't matter. But just get yourself in action because there's no such thing as a great man who's inactive. There's people... Can I preach to you? There's men sitting on church pews every week of the year that can preach circles around me and everybody else in Pentecost, but they refuse to get up and teach a Bible study and win a soul and knock a door and call somebody. And so their gift is wasting on a pew. I would rather have an army of mules led by a lion than an army of lions led by a mule. You gotta get moving, you gotta be in action, you gotta be in action, you gotta be in action, you gotta be in action. He said, it does not yet appear what we shall be. In the next verse, verse three, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. If you wanna have that hope, you gotta get some stuff out that don't belong there. You'll get in your life what you accept in your life. If you accept perversion and carnality, you're going to be a carnal pervert. 
If you accept unfaithfulness, you're going to be unfaithful. But if you set your standard high and you aim towards the stars to do something great for God, then you purify yourself. You get the junk out of your life and say, God, I'm giving my whole self to you because greatness is ability, anointing, and desire in. Do I got to start all over? In action. I'm almost close to being near finishing. I'm in the vicinity of thinking about quitting. Jeremiah 1, 6 and 7 then said, I, all Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. I, I can't do it, God. I'm, I'm not qualified. But the Lord said unto me, say not, I'm a child. God said, don't give me your excuses. Well, God, I'm so busy. I got so much going on. Don't tell me that. I'm not concerned about that. When you had nothing, you weren't busy either. Don't say I'm a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. God said, don't tell me why you can't do it. Just get up and go. Psalms, in Psalms, the, the Bible said that Israel limited the Holy One. They limited God. Wandered in circles for 40 years, never taking the step across the Jordan River. Now, Jeremiah is making excuses and limiting the Holy One of Israel. And here's what God said in Jeremiah 1 and 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, the only reason you're alive is because I had a plan for you before you ever were made in the womb. Jeremiah didn't make a plan for you. I made a you for my plan. Say, well, God, are you gonna get a plan for me? No, he's not. God's not gonna get a plan for you. God had a plan, that's why he made you. You are the response of God to the plan. He's not going to get a plan for you because you are the answer to the plan that he already had. But greatness is ability, anointing, and desire in action. God, are you gonna, God, are you gonna come up with a plan for me? No, God says, no, I'm not coming up with a plan for you. I'm not gonna design a plan for you. I had a plan already, and I made you for the plan. Jeremiah, the only reason you're here is because I had a job. And he, so look what he said in, that, in verse five. Before I form you in the belly, I knew it already. I already had a plan for you. I had it figured out. I had this plan. And so I made you like you are because you fit my plan. I did not make a plan to fit you. 
Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. You are the response to my will. My will does not respond to you. The reason that you're in this church right now, whether you're the most spiritual or most carnal, whether you're the newest or the oldest, the only reason you're in this church is because God had a purpose and he made you for his purpose. You have greatness inside of you. It may have been 50 years since you won a soul. It may have been 10 years since you prayed a prayer that you felt like got through. It may have been five years since you felt a goosebump, an anointing, or a butterfly, but none of that matters because before you ever drew your first breath, God had already made a plan for your life. He already designed it all. He made you for the plan, not the plan for you. That tells me you've got greatness inside of you. It's already in you, but greatness is ability, anointing, and desire in action. God put ability in you. Let me, let, me, let me preach on. Let me preach on. God, I've been preaching all year, feels like. Here's what God said. Now, now there's, there's when, 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 a, when a baby is born, biology class, very sanctified biology class. But when a baby is born, that baby is the result of potentially millions of DNA combinations. I'm weighing my words very carefully here. But in the moment before conception, there are millions of possibilities of genetic combinations. And each one has a different variance for height, weight, all different kinds of of, of results that can happen, skin tone, a, a, a mental aptitude, talent, singing, whatever, the, whatever the, the trait may be. And there's millions of possible combinations. But what God said is, Jeremiah, when your mom and dad were forming you, there could have been millions of different options for how you were gonna end up. But before that happened, I made a plan. And I made sure that out of the millions of possibilities, the one I wanted to happen, happened. Because I've got a plan. And Jeremiah, I made you for the plan. You are selected out of millions of possibilities that could have happened. But I let it happen just like it did because I wanted you to do my plan. Let me tell you, sir, let me tell you, ma'am, what that tells me is you've got greatness inside of you. You are designed and planned and organized specifically by God for your purpose and for, for his purpose and for his plan. Amen. I've worn you all out. I've worn you all out, hadn't I? Oh, Lord. A few weeks ago, I woke up about 3 in the morning. And I had some discomfort in my abdomen, and I thought my stomach was upset. But as time went on, it hurt more and more. About 6.30, I realized I gotta do something. So I thought, well, I'll get up, and I'll take a real quick shower, and I'll drive myself to the hospital. I won't even wake up, Sister V. That didn't work out. She ended up driving me. I looked over, she's going 98. Please forgive her, officer. She got me there. 
sudden my alarm just went off. Roast ain't done yet. Got me to the hospital, they began doing tests. They were doing their due diligence and this is no way a reflection of the healthcare workers or the hospital, but, but it was about by this time, by the time it got to be about 9.30 or 9.45 and I was in so much pain. They ought to call them kidney, kidney demons. Stone is not near. It's like shingles. That's the dumbest name for a sickness. It ought to be called hell's breath when you get shingles. <laughs> By this time, it, I, I've been hurting now for, for six, seven hours. I mean, I'm hurting, I'm hurting, I am hurting. And, and, and they occasionally open that door and, and they're just sitting at computers. My God, I'm dying here and you're sitting at a computer. I know, that's, I know they were working, but, but in my mind, I was desperate after all these hours. I told them, I said, I don't care what you do, you just got to do something. I don't care what you give me, just give me something. I, I'd have walked out of that hospital with that robe on, back all open, walked straight downtown Memphis and said, you give me whatever you got on whatever, it doesn't matter. I'll repent later. I can always repent. <laughs> Desperate people just want action. Just do something. Just, just look like you're trying to help me somehow. You want to know what this world needs from the church? It's action. Not sitting here three times a week on our hands, twiddling our thumbs, saying, I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad I'm saved. I am glad I'm saved. But I was made for a purpose. And greatness is ability anointing and desire in action you got to get busy you got to get busy you just do something if it's pulling weeds out of the parking lot just do something do anything but sit there do anything but just pass. just do something Back a few years ago, I had another, I think it was another kidney stone. Brother Kelly McMillan got me from my house to Oxford in 17 minutes, blue lights. It was wonderful. <laughs> I got in there and I told that, that nurse, my heart rate was like at 38. And they said, with all the pain you're in, it ought to be higher than that. Well, you got a problem. I said, I know I got a problem. I don't come to the hospital just to hang out. <laughs> and I told her, I said, I don't care what you give me. Give me whatever you want. She's jabbed something in me somewhere and I said it's not working she hadn't even got the needle out yet I said it's not working about 10 seconds later I said I can't feel my legs it's all good just do something man this world we're, we're so concerned the world's going to care about how we shout and talk in tongues and how, how we dress and all that. Let me tell you something. That world out there, that's the ones that are really desperate, they'd wear pink socks on their ears if we told them they had to to get their marriage back together, to get their life back together. Just do something. My God, quit sitting on a pew every time and do something. Greatness. You got greatness in you, but there's no such thing as a great person who is 
inactive. Stand with me. Stand with me. I'm trying to trick you into thinking it's almost over. Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He said, you were faithful over few. I'll make you a ruler over many. I wrote something down Wednesday night. I wish I had the note with me. I wrote something down Wednesday night in church that no one ever landed on the moon without launching from the earth. Gotta start somewhere. Where do I start? Wherever you are. Just start. Be faithful over a few. Whatever it is. Be faithful over, no matter how little insignificant you may feel like it is, just be faithful over few, and I'll make you ruler over many. You prove your ability to handle great by handling mundane. And then look what he said. What's the last phrase? Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. There are so many Christians that have no joy because they're not doing anything. Gotta do a little. If you be faithful over a few, I'll make you a ruler over many. And joy is waiting on the other side of action. Greatness is talent, anointing, and desire in action. That same servant that he said entered into the joy of the Lord, that passage begins with that the Lord told the servant, the Bible said he gave to them according to their ability. Just whatever they could do. Let me tell you, God's not asking me to be the lead voice in next year's Christmas concert. He's not asking me to do that. Didn't give me the ability for it. I was voted second best singer in our house, but I voted for myself twice. Still lost. What's God expecting from me? How do I unlock the greatness within myself? Just do whatever you can do right now. Ability, just according to your ability. If you can sing, you ought to repent if you're not up here in the choir. What if God gave everyone that could sing but wouldn't laryngitis and you couldn't talk? Your spouse would be happy, but you wouldn't be. What if God gave the Sunday school teachers among us who just don't want to do it? Don't want to be bothered.
the home Bible study teachers. I bought, man, I bought probably 50 home Bible study charts. And as far as I know, I got two people teaching Bible studies. Where's it at? Is it in your car, your trunk, countertop, under your bed, trash? Did you give it away? Where's it at? I know I paid for it. What's your point, Pastor? I'm saying that greatness is inside of you, but you gotta get in action. You gotta get busy. You gotta do something. Can you come to the altar with your hands up and say, God, whatever ability I've got, I wanna give it to you. God, whatever ability I've got, I wanna give it to you. God, if I give you my ability, then I know the Bible says you'll anoint it. And God, if I give you my ability and you anoint it and I give it my best, I give it my passion. Get in action. I'm going to do something for God. This year ought to be the greatest year in your family's spiritual life. This year ought to be the greatest year for your family, for moms and dads and young people, for grandparents and children. This ought to be the greatest year that this church has ever seen because if we'll just take our ability and he'll give us an anointing and we'll add our passion and go do something, you gotta unlock the greatness within you. I want you to lay your hand on your own head. I want you to lay your hand on your own head and I want you to begin to pray. God, help me. Come on, God, help me, Lord, to unlock the greatness within. God, help me, Lord Jesus, to do what I gotta do to do what you've called me to do. God, you made me for a purpose. You made me for a plan. So God, help me to, to do what I can do over the few so I can be made a ruler over many. Oh, that's right. Come on, pray for yourself right now. God, help me to be the man, the woman, the young person. Help me to do. Help me to do what I can do. You think you got to do something great, but I'm going to tell you, just the little things. Brother Craig, Sister Kenyon, I want to say thank you publicly. We had a family that was sick, that was struggling spiritually, and you cooked and took them food. And, and somebody told me yesterday that just the simple fact of them dropping off food changed everything in their mind. And I know, I, I, I just heard about that last night. I know that happens all over the place. But let me tell you, just something as simple as, as something we do every day, just cooking food, just for one family made all the difference in a change. Greatness is inside. Reach over and lay your hand on somebody next to you. I'm gonna let Bishop. I know you don't want you don't ever ask to do anything, so I'm gonna ask you to close in prayer and whatever you want to do. But I want you to lay hands on each other right now. Let me tell you, the world beats people down, but I've come to tell you, you got greatness in you. The world will tell you you can't accomplish anything and you can't do anything that you've wasted it. You've me you've messed up so bad, but I'm gonna tell you, you got greatness inside of you, and I know it because God brought you here today. There's greatness inside of you. So while Bishop prays, I want you to let the Holy Ghost build your faith today to believe that you can do what God's called you to do.
Jesus, thank you for your word today. God, help us to allow it to be applied to our lives. Help us, God, to receive what you have given us today through the man of God. I ask you, O oh Lord, to help us to find our place in the kingdom. Help us to find ourselves active, God, doing the will of God in our lives for our generation, for our church, for this world. Thank you, O oh Lord, for the help, the strength, the finances, the blessings you've given us to work with. Now, God, help us to take good advantage of that. Do the will of God, whatever our hand finds to do. Help us to do it. Help us to be looking for something to do. Help us to be active, God. Help us to get our hands on it. In Jesus' name, help our influence to be what it needs to be. For those around us, God, wherever we work, wherever we go to school, whatever we do, help us not to waste our time in this life. Help us, God, to put our best foot forward. Do the will of God. Oh, God, help us to be active. Give us the desire to be active. God, help us to take the abilities that you've given us. Put them into action, God. Put them into action, God. Put them into action, God. In Jesus' name, I'm believing you, Lord. I'm believing you, Lord. Help us to be up and about our Father's business. Help us to be up and about our Father's business. Help us to do the will of God. Jesus, 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 help us to apply this word today. Help us to apply this word today. Put your hand over your heart and say, God, help us to receive this today. Help us to receive this today. Touch my mind, touch my soul, touch my body, touch my finances. Help us all, God, to use what you've given us for the kingdom's sake. For the work of God's sake, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give Pastor a good hand for obeying the Lord today. Amen, amen, amen. Church. Tonight, prayer time, pray, church starts at prayer time. You know that? Six o'clock in the prayer room, come believe in the Lord. Why don't you bring somebody with you tonight? You that's been praying, bring somebody with you. If, if you hadn't been coming, come tonight. Hey, listen, listen, we ain't, we ain't, we're not gone yet. Hold on, hold on, hold on, everybody. Hold on, everybody. Let me tell you one more thing, one more thing. Thank you. You got perfect attendance this year. You have perfect attendance this year. Tonight, don't break that. Keep it perfect attendance. God bless you. Be back tonight in Jesus' name. We love you all.